name Jacques Tati, and it's likely you'll think of a middle-aged man with a befuddled look, sagging cheeks, bags under his eyes, and a downturned mouth. Settled in that mouth is an apple-style pipe. He has an umbrella, wears a beige poplin raincoat, tweed hat, and trousers that hang too short on his legs, exposing the thin hoops in his socks. The hat, the umbrella, the raincoat, he always looks dressed for bad weather, but never seems ready for it. He is Mr. Hulot, Tati's screen persona. Hulot's bewildered face always looked like an inverted exclamation mark atop an outfit that, just like Albert Einstein's wardrobe, never changed. But where Einstein bought replicas of the same shirt, jacket and trousers, all because he did not want to waste time thinking about what to wear, Hulot was not trying to figure out the mysteries of the universe. Instead, he seemed puzzled by it, and so his decision to wear the never-changing uniform signified a protection against, if not a complete resignation in the face of, a bewildering world. Carefully chosen as Ulo's wardrobe was, you do not need those details to identify him, because his silhouette was as much a signature as Charlie Chaplin's Little Tramp. And just as Chaplin wrote, produced, directed and starred in his own pictures, so did Tati, with Jour de Fête, Les Vacances de Monsieur Hulot, Mon Oncle, Playtime, Traffic and Parade. However, as charming, disarming and deceptively simple as some of those films may seem, mention the name Jacques Tati and the last person you probably think of is David Lynch. Nevertheless, here is Lynch talking of his love for Tati cinema. If you turn the sound off for a Jacques Tati movie, it would be um, maybe interesting, but you'd be losing so much, maybe half of the humor. The humor comes in with the sound, and um, so there's sound effects, but for Jacques Tati, every sound effect is an opportunity uh, for humor. And the way he was a genius in, in finding these, um, uh, finding or making these sounds that add so much to his world. As proof of that, here is a clip from the opening to Tati's second feature film, Les Vacances, where a group of holidaymakers crowd on a station platform in eager anticipation of a train arriving to whisk them away to their destination. Listening to that clip, you'll be forgiven for thinking that the joke was about the common experience we've all had of not being able to understand an announcement made over a tannoy. However, watching the movie, you see another joke entirely. Hearing the announcement, the tourists have all gathered on one platform, only for the train to arrive on another. But for that joke to work on screen, you don't really need the soundtrack. Yet, if you put them together, you can see and hear the sophisticated way Tati played with sound and image in order to create his comedy. All of which hopefully puts pay to the common misconception that Tati was a descendant of silent cinema comics Max Sennett, Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton and fellow Frenchman Max Linder. Well, to be fair, he was. But only insofar as barely, if any of his comedy, was reliant on dialogue. But that does not mean it was not dependent on sound. As George Lucas famously said, sound is half the picture. In which case, listen to this cacophony from Les Vacances, Mon Oncle, Playtime and Traffic. 
Monsieur Giffard, du sel d'or au téléphone. But what really sets Tati's films apart from Senate, Chaplin, Keaton and Linder is that their feature films had carefully arranged plots, events strictly sequenced, where cause and effect established the situation, escalated the problem and in the end resolved the complication. While Tati's individual gags are meticulously organised units that depend upon an extremely organised sequence, just look at the near hour-long restaurant scene in Playtime. The overall sequence in which those gags are organised is not that strict. Causality within a gag was crucial, but temporal causality from that gag to a later one was not always as crucial. Which is something Sophie Coppola showed with some of the visual gags she created for her 2003 comedy drama Lost in Translation. There they do not have a cause and effect relationship. Instead they are single standalone pieces and could just as easily happen in a different sequence. Yet their aggregate convey what Tati was conveying, dysfunction in and confusion with the modern world. Bill Murray's Bob Harris steps into a shower which is fitted for someone far smaller. Asleep in his bedroom, he is awoken by the sound of the automated opening of the curtains. In the hotel's gym, he tries to get in some much needed exercise on the cross-country trainer. The next year, in his comedy The Terminal, Steven Spielberg took the elements of confusion and dysfunction and added bureaucracy. In constructing a full-scale terminal, supposed to be New York's JFK, but actually modelled on Dusseldorf International, Spielberg described his film as a tribute to Tati, who for playtime had an ultra-modern reconstruction of Orly Airport. And just as Mr Ulo was perpetually bemused by the modern world, Tom Hanks's victim Navorsky finds himself trapped in the liminal world of the film's title. No more Krakosia. Okay? D new government. Revolution. You understand? So all the flights in and out of your country have been suspended indefinitely. And the new government has sealed all the borders, which means that your passport and visa are no longer valid. So currently, you are a citizen of nowhere. Now, even if we could get you new papers, we couldn't process them until the United States recognizes your country's new diplomatic reclassification. Yeah, see, you don't qualify for asylum, refugee status, temporary protective status, humanitarian parole, or non-immigration work travel or diplomatic visas. You don't qualify for any of these things. You are, at this time, simply unacceptable. Overall, Tati's films are not plot-driven, but instead present an array of wry gags that neither complicate nor resolve problems. Rather, he uses them to comment on contemporary life, and then he closes the film. That lack of causality is typified in his 1958 masterpiece, Mon Oncle. Let us begin with the title. With the use of the noun uncle, it suggests it will be about a man, with the pronoun my suggesting the story will be seen through the eyes of the man's nephew or niece, neither of which is true. Instead, what we get is a schema about a well-to-do Parisian family to whom the uncle, Monsieur Hulot, is related. The father, Monsieur Arpel, played by Jean-Pierre Zola, has a nondescript desk job in a non-specific factory. The mother, Madame Arpel, played by Adrienne Cervanti, focuses on running their modern home as efficiently as possible, while their son, Gérard, played by Alain Bécourt, attends the local school. 
we see the office, we see the factory, outside of the school, and children from the local village, the guests that come to the Arpel house, and Monsieur Hulot coming and going. And that is pretty much it. Which means that we have to look and listen beyond the events, and focus instead on the way Tati presents those events. Here is someone who knows how to make a lot of different people laugh in a lot of different ways, medieval historian Terry Jones. Yes, I think, I mean, I think Tati treats the sound as he treats the objects. It becomes one more kind of abstract element in this sort of almost abstract humour. In Mon Oncle, it's the, um, the wonderful sound of the, the secretary's heels in this cold metallic world of the factory, and it's just all the time, and uh, uh, as her, when she's walking down the days, and the, you know, he doesn't need music, he's using sound instead of music. Yes, the music was composed by Frank Barcellini and Alan Romain, but in terms of the natural sounds, the diegetic sounds being generated within the scene, Tati always shot his films without sound, and then only when he was editing, did he have sound engineer Jacques Carrère layer the sound not onto, but into the image. Carrère is one of the great unsung heroes of sound in post-war European cinema, his expertise gracing René Clément's Purple Noon, Louis Bunuel's The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie, Jean-Pierre Melville's Army of Shadows, and Robert Brasson's Lancelot du Lac, where the brutal sounds of the knights scraping body armour are so expressive, you can visualise the outcome without watching. Normally, a film soundtrack prioritises the dialogue, but for Tati, the sound effects are just as prominent in the mix. Further novelty comes from Tati's reluctance to scale the sound, which means that the noise coming from the background is often as loud in the mix as the sounds coming from the action in the foreground. There is quite a lot of dialogue, but because Tati is far more interested in other sounds, sounds we normally don't pay attention to, the clicking of stiletto heels on lino floors, the hum of air conditioning systems and the splashing of a fountain, Mon Oncle is a fascinating film to listen to as well as to watch. So much for sound. What about colour? Consider the first morning Mr. Appel goes to work. He steps from the house wearing a suit that perfectly matches the grey walls of his absurdly modernist home. As for Madame Arpel, she emerges in a mint green housecoat and a rather pompous matching hat. Then Mr. Appel gets into his car, which almost matches the colour of his suit. He exits the driveway and heads along an equally drab street that takes him to work. The direct inverse of that colour scheme turns up in Tim Burton's 1990 classic Edward Scissorhands, where all the husbands return from work, precisely at the same time, to their pastel painted homes. You've been cloistered away up in that castle too long. You don't know anything about the wonderful world of teenage girls. They're all crazy. Here, so straighten right out. What is it? Lemonade. I don't know what it is. They reach a certain age, 
They develop these gland things, their bodies swell up. They go crazy. Glands? Yeah, glands. I try not to think about it. So much for color. What about composition? Tati made seven shorts before he tackled his first feature, Jour des Fêtes, in 1947. Throughout that film and his next, Les Vacances, he developed a sophisticated way of composing his shots. Not only in terms of across the frame, but into the frame. And then, finally with Mononc, he unveiled his preoccupation with geometry. Just look at all the strong lines, straight and curved, in the Arpels modern house. Those shapes and forms dominated the frame because Tati made sure to keep the camera well back from the action. So much so, we never get a single close-up in the entire film. Tati's visual design, his preoccupation with geometry and symmetry, can be seen again and again and again in the films of Wes Anderson. In fact, Anderson is so enamoured with Tati that he recently made a commercial for Japanese cell phone manufacturer SoftBank, in which Brad Pitt plays a pastiche of Monsieur Hulot. So much of the filmmakers Tati has influenced. Who influenced him? Despite popular assumptions, the biggest influence was neither Max Dennett, Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, nor Max Linder. It was Harry Ralph. Historians can verify only three feature films in which Ralph appeared. And yet, what Tati saw convinced him that Ralph was, quote, a foundation for everything that has been realised in comedy on the screen. Born just outside London in 1867, Ralph had already secured a name for himself in Victorian music halls long before the Lumiere brothers screened their first films. Known as Little Titch and standing barely four foot six in his socks, Ralph's most celebrated act was his big boot dance, where his footwear measured two and a quarter feet, which was over half his actual height. With the assistance of the boots and his low centre of gravity, Little Titch would lean forward to a seemingly impossible angle and then, without the use of his hands, pick up his top hat by dipping his head into its well. And then, in the opposite move, he would almost double his height by balancing on the tips of his boots. How that came to influence Tati is something only the Frenchman knew, but undoubtedly part of it was the elegance of Little Titch's movements. Essentially, Tati's Monsieur Hulot was a mime, in which case we leave the last word to Tati, speaking here and accepting the Oscar for the best foreign language film from an uncle. Well, I've, uh, I want to say a few words with my uh, very bad English. I find that the, the people who speak worse English want to talk more than the others. <laughs> but uh, uh, for my first visit in, uh, in Hollywood, uh, I, I feel I, I'm, I'm doing fine. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, I want to tell you something who may, for myself, is very important. Hollywood, it's uh, a town at the beginning of comedy, slastic pantomime. 
and uh, I will remember all the names from Maxenet to Chaplin to everyone. I'm still making pantomime in my little corner myself. Tonight, I know that if in Hollywood they have not done so many funny pi pictures, I will not be here tonight. So for all those great comedians, tonight I'm not the uncle, I'm the nephew, and I respect very much Hollywood. Thank <laughs> you.